Chuck that I finished it. Because <laughs> he doesn't think I can finish anything. I'm going to finish it, whether it kills us or not. So we're in Philippians uh, chapter 4. Did you go to church service already? Brother Chuck preached. Good? I'm going to tell you something. He really worked on that message. He gave us a hint last week. But I mean, during the week, I know this because I wanted to go see him. And he was like a bear cat. He was just irritable and moody and the whole deal. <laughs> I need to pray. Because not really. But he was really, really studying. And so I, I know it was good. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Next week, Dr. Denny Autry will be preaching. He's one of our members. And he heads up our seminary extension here. Super guy. A message relevant in light of what Mary said, the Go Tell Crusade coming up. Then the following Sunday, we'll be hearing from a guest speaker from South Africa who goes all about ministering to in the schools here and there. I can't remember his name, but he's highly thought of. Then the following Sunday is Easter, and our pastor is planning on being here on that day. However, he doesn't know for sure. And so we're just being flexible as we need to be. His wife, as you know, is uh, with cancer. She received a series of treatments at Methodist. Uh, they succeeded in alleviating pain to a significant extent. <clears throat> Whether they actually addressed the cancer itself remains to be seen. So she's in a kind of rehab assisted living facility now. And though the pastor misses being with us, he's surely doing the right thing to be with her and uh, their two sons and so on. So we are, we're praying that the Lord would make his perfect decisions on behalf of Bethel, Morgan, and the entire uh, family. So we had a beautiful service Wednesday night. Four new men were ordained as deacons, which makes our deacon group number 97. The number is not significant. It's the quality of the men. They're excellent. And I attribute the stability of the church in large measure to our deacons. They're wonderful. Counselors, um, supporters, they're the stabilizing influence in the church. So it's a beautiful service, but uh, we miss the pastor being there. He would have ordinarily been there, but uh, was unable to. So please continue to pray for them. And in the meantime, we will press on and do what the Lord would have us do. Uh, and um, we'll do this not only to represent our pastor, Will, but especially the head of the church. But you can pray for the Morgan family. Anyway, that's, that's what's, what's happening for now, and we'll see what each day holds. All right, I've given you time to find, I think, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 <coughs> is where we are, and we'll begin in verse 10. We'll take a look. Hi, Deb. I haven't seen Deb or had a chance to say hello to Deb in a long time. God bless you. That's Beverly next to you. Well, you can sit elsewhere, Deb, if you'd like. I'm just saying. You see see Beverly Hill right there? She's a biker. Does she look like a biker to you? She drives a big, what do they call them, a hog, a Harley. She drives a big old Harley. What is wrong with her? <laughs> and she deals drugs and everything. <laughs> All right, not that part. Okay, I'm sorry. I just threw the whole thing together. Hey, do you guys want to sit? Because there's seats over here if you'd like. Yeah, I know exactly. That's because you want to make a quick escape. I know what you're doing. 
Don't think I don't see right through it. Okay, Philippians 4, here we are, folks. Verse 10, but I, Paul is speaking, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you, he's speaking of the church at Philippi, the Philippians, you at last have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What does he mean? The Philippians used to send him financial support. He greatly appreciated it. Circumstances intervened such that their opportunity to continue their support ended for a while. What are the specifics? We don't know. It only says they lacked opportunity. Maybe they couldn't get financial support to Paul in light of what his circumstance was. Whatever it is, it seems they didn't forget him. They simply lacked the opportunity to give him the financial support they previously did. Now, somehow, they were able to renew their support. And Paul, in this, rejoiced greatly. Is it because he was money hungry? No. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. No, no, no. It wasn't the money. It was their participation in the gospel. He was the missionary. They were not. But he needed them and valued them to be part of his support team, financially and in prayer. And in supporting him financially, he rejoiced because it showed um, they were with him in propagating the gospel here, there, and everywhere. So he rejoiced in that. And then he says, it isn't about the money. I've learned to be content. Learned to be content, which implies he wasn't born with it, nor are you and I. No baby, well, you know this, newborn babies, they're cute on the outside, aren't they? Man, they are demanding, narcissistic <laughs> rascals, you know. They scream at you when they want to eat. They scream at you when they want to change. They scream at you when they just, I mean, they are not content. And uh, we're born with it. So Paul is not saying by nature, I am a content person. I've learned it. How did he learn to be content? Through life. What do you mean? How does life teach you to be content? He learned that in whatever circumstances he found himself, including jail, he's in jail in Rome, uh, he learned two things about God. One, God is sovereign. Two, God is good. God has manifold perfections or attributes. Keep in mind these two. They'll help you. He's sovereign. He's fully in control. It's so important to know this when something hits you, surprised you. You're not in control of it. Nobody is. But Jesus is. He's sovereign. But he's not just sovereign. If he was just sovereign, he would be strong but not necessarily tender. But he's not just sovereign. He's also good. Meaning he has kind intentions. So this sovereign deity, this creator God who's in control of the universe, also has kind intentions. 
that doesn't mean the circumstances that come our way are pleasant and pleasurable. No, they may be devastating and hurtful. Yet we must remember, even in the circumstance, God remains sovereign and good. Paul learned this over time. He learned this through the throes of life that God never violated either his sovereignty or his goodness on Paul's behalf. Sometimes Paul realized it when he was brought through the circumstance and could look back on it. But, but at, at any rate, he's learned about the character of God through this. And this was the basis of his contentment. We're in the same process. We're just as eligible for learning contentment. What does it mean, by the way? It was a word Paul borrowed from the Stoic philosophers of the day. Everything he wrote about is so uh, brilliantly tied to the culture because he wanted to lend to the culture a Christian perspective. So there was a group of philosophers called the Stoics in Paul's day. We've heard of them. In fact, we use the term today. That person is very Stoic. When you say a person is very Stoic, what does that mean to you? If someone's be saying, you see that guy he's very stoic. Do you have any idea what that what, what, what do you get from that? I can't hear you. What do you say? That's exactly right. He, they, they don't show that's that's how we use it. This person seem, seems to be withholding emotions. In the day, that was seen to be a virtue by the Stoics. The Stoics said the key to success in life is not to feel it. Essentially what they said. They said you rise above the externals by finding internally some strength whereby you can detach yourself from your emotions. That's what they said. So grief? No, 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 no. Don't go there. Someone who you love dies? No, 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 no. Don't give in to it. Regulate your emotions. Suppress them and deny them. <clears throat> that was thought to be a virtue. So they coined this word contentment, which means self-sufficiency in Greek. It means self-sufficiency. The Stoics saw it as a virtue. Be content. This is how you'll rise above the throes of life, find contentment through some inner resources, some discipline within, some denial of, of your emotions. You know, uh, I was a pastor one time in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I, I was the senior pastor of a, a really great church. And at the end of the service, we had like a receiving line. People would come by. And a lady was came by, and I knew her, and I knew of her circumstances, and I inquired about them. I said, how is your mom? Because I knew her mom was ill and hospitalized. And she says, oh, she's well. I said, I'm so happy to hear this. So, so she's no longer in the hospital? No, 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 she's still in the hospital. Oh, so, so, so she's getting better but is still ill. Oh, no, don't say that. And she said, no, she's not ill. She's entirely well. I said, oh, oh, she's over the such and such. No, 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 she's entirely well. Oh, no, okay, so I'll, I'll pray that she, you know, get better. Uh, you know, she, 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 she get over this illness. Oh, no, 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 don't say that. You know, it was, she, she was uh, borrowing from the, you know the positive confession movement, where you 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 you, you name your reality. 
you create your reality. You, you, they call it a negative confession. You don't allow any negative thoughts to come in or feelings to come into your life. And in so doing, you will obligate God to come through for you. You know, I'm believing. They say, I'm believing God for her health. Now, that sounds good, but, but they're actually using their so-called belief to manipulate God. If we deny any hint of unbelief, we can twist God's arm to heal her. No, no, that's not faith. That's faith in your faith. Biblical faith is faith in God to always do what's best. Non-biblical faith, this kind that I'm talking about, that's faith in your faith, as if faith is a power you can use against God. So she was actually um, similar to the Stoic philosophers of old, denying reality and denying feelings. No, no. But Paul's not saying that. When he takes the word contentment, you'll see in a second, he's not talking about looking to some resources in you. He's talking about looking to Christ in you who remains sovereign and good in any circumstance. Paul says, I have learned dependence on Christ. I've learned he's the all-sufficient one and that no matter what circumstance I may find myself in, I can lean into him and I'll get through it by his strength. That's essentially what he's saying. In other words, Paul is not saying to us, you need to be content with your circumstance. No. He's saying you need to be content in your circumstance. Is that not a total difference? To be content with your circumstance is to stoically deny reality. Your circumstance may hurt. It may stink. It may be overwhelming. You're not supposed to enjoy that, deny that. Be content with that. No, no. You're to be content in that. Why? Because even in that, God is sovereign, God is good, and God can make use of it. Good use of it for his glory and your good. Can you see the difference? So Paul takes the Stoic concept, he uses their very word, but attaches an entirely new meaning to it. So he says, for instance, in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Do you know why most Christians are not entrusted with prosperity? We don't know how to get along with it. <laughs> I mean it. There's only some Christians who can be entrusted with prosperity. Most of us do better with adversity, I must tell you. Most of us do better with limited financial means than too much because <laughs> we won't use it well. But Paul said, I know how to. I have learned... Uh, how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, look what he says. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I've learned the secret, which begs the question, what's the secret? Don't you want to know the secret? Now, I'll tell you why he uses this word. In Paul's day, just as there were the Stoic philosophers, there were also things called the mystery religions. In Greco-Roman culture, they were the mystery religions. What were they? They were religious groups enshrouded in mystery, secrets. Hence, they were called the mystery religions. Who knew the secrets? Only the initiated. The secrets were hidden from the uninitiated crowd. Only a special elite group were entrusted with the secrets. You had to be initiated 
into the mystery religion before the secrets were revealed to you. We have some modern-day parallels, and I won't mention specifics because I don't want to right now. Uh, but groups that have secrets, you, to join, you take a vow to keep the secrets. You don't even know the secrets yet, but you're promising not to reveal the secrets. We should do that in membership here at Sagemont. <laughs> hey, so I hear you want to be a member. Well, here's the deal. Uh, you know, raise your right hand, put your hand over your heart, do whatever you got to do, and take a vow that you won't reveal the secrets which we have yet to tell you about to anybody, okay? Will you do that? I mean, people would run us out of town. And yet, <clears throat> apparently some here have no problem doing that with other organizations. <clears throat> kind of weird to me. Sort of like the mystery religions. So that's what they did. Now, Paul takes the term secret from the mystery religions. He said, I have a secret. But the difference with Paul's secret is that his was the most poorly kept secret in the history of humankind. His secret was proclaimed abroad. His secret, we'll see in a second, is sufficiency in Christ Jesus. His was the most proclaimed, publicly made known secret ever. Why? Because it was available to anyone, not the elite initiated through secret rites and all this stuff. Not secrets kept from the rest of us. No, no, no. Why? Because Paul's God is a revealing God, not a God who lives in the shadows and withholds things. You know, God gave us not just the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. He gave us 66, 66 books in which he reveals himself to us. No, God, God, doesn't want, God doesn't reveal things to an elite. Listen, I want to tell you something. God did not tell me how, uh, how the Trinity works any more than he told you. <laughs> he told me about the Trinity like he told you. But we don't have elite classes made privy to certain theological secrets that God has withheld from the rest. That's not true. It doesn't work that way. But it does in the mystery religions and in certain organizations today that, in my opinion, you ought to run from like crazy. Anyway... If it's good, why are you keeping it a secret, for crying out loud? Paul spent his life publicly proclaiming his secret. What's his secret? Here it is, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret of life. <clears throat> now, be careful. Don't make this too general. Keep it in context. If you just take it out of context, I can do all things... That makes you Superman or Superwoman, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, bullet able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This is not uh, something that commends your strength. I'll tell you what it's saying in context. It's saying God will never lead any of us, Paul, any of us, into a circumstance in which we cannot find his strength to deal with. I can experience, Paul is saying, all of the things God wants me to do. I can experience all the situation God allows me to be in. I can experience it, get through it, and have victory in it through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he's saying. I can do all things. I can do all the things God wants me to do and leads me into 
through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yeah? What if you get a cancer diagnosis? I can go through. I can do. I'll be able to handle all things, not in my own strength. I don't have it. Through him who strengthens me. That's the secret Paul found. Paul found that even in the circumstance which is overwhelming, God remains sovereign and God remains good. That's what he found. Here's what he found. He found that if God's sovereign and allows us to go through something and experience something, we can know with it we'll find God's enablement to go through it. Otherwise, he's not sovereign. Otherwise, this thing befell us as a result of the cruel winds of faith. It was just the whimsical universe. And it was just, you know, the gods are in a bad mood and they inflicted something upon... No, Paul said, no, 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 there aren't the gods. They're not moody. It's one God, transcendent deity, and he is sovereign. He's in control of all things. So this thing that has come my way, which is blowing me away, it surprised me and I didn't see it coming. Still, I believe God remains sovereign and God is good. No, I see no good in it. I will look to him for strength and one day I'll probably see something good in him. He'll do all things for my good and his glory because he's sovereign and he is good. Paul said, I learned that over time. That's what he said. That's his secret. Someone wrote this. I don't know who it is, but I, it's beautiful. A living Christ on the inside is more than sufficient to endure the circumstances on the outside. That's Paul's secret. A living Christ, not stoicism, not confidence in the flesh, not some discipline, not some denial of your emotions, not some crazy nutso thing that says just put on a happy face even when you're dying, <clears throat> not, not, not some denial of reality. No, uh, uh, Paul said Christ on the inside is more than sufficient to endure the circumstances on the outside. That's what he said. That's his secret. That's what he said. Nevertheless, he says in verse 14, you, the Philippians, have done well to share with me in my affliction. I don't need your money is what he's saying because I've learned contentment in all circumstances, but it is a good thing that you have shared with me, he means financially. Why? Because once again, in sharing with them, sharing with him financially, they're, they're expressing true koinonia, true participation in the gospel. They can't be Paul. Not everyone is like Paul. Not everyone is a called full-time missionary equipped to do it, but they could be on his team. They could pray, and they could financially support him. In so doing, Paul said, that's a good thing you did. You have done well. And he says, verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Ah. At the beginning of Paul's missionary ministry, he was in a province called Macedonia. It was a Roman province. It's a big one. It would be in modern-day northern Greece, southern Bulgaria, and southern what used to be called Yugoslavia. Big province. Its uh, capital was a city called Thessalonica. Paul was in Macedonia. You know what he says to the Philippians? You're the only church in Macedonia, though he ministered to many. You're the only church that supports me. Whoa. 
commendation for them, condemnation for the other churches. And so he says, even in Thessalonica, remember, Thessalonica, capital of the province of Macedonia, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. He remembers this. So when Paul left Philippi, at the beginning of his gospel sharing, he then went to Thessalonica. Though he was not physically present with the Philippians, they still supported him in his missionary efforts in Thessalonica, and they were the only church who did. But then he says, to make it clear, verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. Now you say, oh, come on, that's just fluffy words. That's just something people say. No. You and I know enough about Paul, don't we, to trust his motive here? He wasn't after their checkbook. No, no, no. He was after something else. Look, I, 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 he's not seeking their money. But look, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. What does that mean? He knew if they invested financially in the things that pleased God, God would bless their investment. Paul knew that. He knew if they experienced the discipline of sacrificial giving, they would experience the joy of giving, number one, and they would be blessed by God for doing it. It's one of the perplexing things in the Christian life. Uh, the Bible says, give and you will receive. What? Uh, we grew up thinking, no, uh, what you need to do is save or invest or hoard or accumulate but the Bible says, no, if you use a portion of what you have to meet the needs of others, you'll be blessed. Wow, that's a, that's a biblical notion that you have to really grow into. And they, the Philippians, were. And Paul says, that's what I'm seeking, that you would see the spiritual benefits of giving. Now, he didn't mean this. Uh, he didn't mean what you see on TV a lot, so-called Christian TV, where people say, uh, I want you to sow seed into my ministry. Sow seed. See, because if you sow seed into my ministry, God will bless you financially. So then they have a testimonial. Someone will say, yes, I sent in a check of $50 to brother so-and-so, and whoa, just three days later, I found a check in the mail. I don't know where it came from for $500. Yay, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Folks, that is hocus-pocus and television nonsense. That's not what this means at all. Don't give to get a better f uh, financial in, uh, a re uh, return on your investment. That's not the motive for giving. You give to support the work of God. And Paul is simply saying in the process of giving, God will bless you. But it isn't a guarantee that he'll multiply your finances. I'll show you that in just a second. But anyway, he says in verse 18, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. Remember him? He's one of the Philippians. He didn't have the constitution to stay in the mission field. He had a weak constitution, but not a weak heart. And so he was the personal emissary from the Philippians to Paul to deliver some financial support. He was a good man, but he just, he, he didn't have what it whether it was emotional issues, physical issues. That's why we've got to be kind of gracious with one another, right? We can't judge someone struggling with emotional issues, depression and anxiety, stuff like that. We can't judge that person with that weak emotional constitution. That person may have a very strong 
heart for God, but have a weak emotional constitution. And I think Epaphroditus was one of those, but he was still serving. And so he brought this gift to Paul. And so he says, I've received from Epaphroditus what you sent. And look what Paul calls it, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Do you know he's using Old Testament sacrificial terminology here? The book of Leviticus, when they made offerings, it was called a fragrant aroma. You know, it was like a burnt offering. The smoke would go up. God would, figuratively speaking, inhale it, would ascend into the nostrils of God. God would find it pleasing. Paul says here, when you give sacrificially, not randomly, but to the people and causes that please God, it's like a fragrant aroma to him. In fact, says this sacrifice, it is a sacrifice, is an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's what it says. And now verse 19, a verse that everyone knows of, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think that's true, but let's keep it in the context before we go too wide with it. Uh, remember, the context is financial, economics. Uh, if they chose to give sacrificially, Paul says, it's a good thing, God will bless you. It's a good thing, it's a fragrant aroma. It's a good thing, it means you're together with me and sharing the gospel. And if you do that, please know God will supply all your needs. What does that mean? Look, the Philippians get their paycheck. And before they cash it and disperse it, there's a lot of things that go through their minds, like the light bill. I mean, you got to pay the utilities, you got to pay the mortgage, stuff like that. So you start writing checks for those things. And then with what may be left, you write out a check for kingdom causes. Um, but the Bible says, honor the Lord from the first of your substance, from the top. Trusting God to provide in all other areas. Wow, that's a rough one, but that's, that's essentially what it says. So Paul here is essentially saying, if you do things that way, please know God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The only way you can really know that to be true is to test it out. Do you mind me telling you, uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I became a Christian in 1973, so however many years that is. Um, I believe this verse is true from my personal experience. Um, I, I have just seen when you participate in giving a portion of what God has given to you, first off, to God's, to, to causes and people that please God, my personal experience, I've seen God meet all my needs. Does this mean financial needs? Not necessarily. See, some people say this can't be true because there are many Christians around the world who are living in poverty. Yeah. No, God says meet needs. If he's not meeting a financial need in the life of a particular Christian, it means he's up to something even of more value than money. Like what? Well, for crying out loud, if you're struggling financially, um, could it be that God is giving you an opportunity to cling to him for blessing, to call out to him, to look to him, to say, I have no one else to look to. I'm doing everything I could. Oh, God, you've got to help me. 
Couldn't it be that that's what God wants to accentuate even through your poverty, a dependence on him? Could it be that what he's really after that's more valuable than material stuff is spiritual growth and development? Because in heaven, we don't, we don't need bank accounts and stuff like that. But we still need the capacity to worship God and love him and appreciate him and trust him. And, and could it be that what God is doing now is conjuring up a dependence on him, a trust in him and all the rest? Folks, let's just face it. When we're hurting, we're more prone to look to God. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't know how a particular financial need is going to be met? Where are you going to go? And you cry out to God and you say, I feel abandoned. You're my father. I got, I got to eat. I need blah, 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 blah. And, and, and then when he comes through, it's of much more value than the actual thing you got. You just saw the unseen God make him, his faithfulness visible. That's what we need. So, so the text says, God will supply all your needs. Needs as he reckons them. Notice it doesn't say God will supply all your wants. Ah, see, this will get us. Doesn't say a thing about that. Needs, not wants. And as a result of us, a lot of us are going with wants and whims, unsatisfied and unfulfilled. Yeah, but there's no promise in the Bible that says that's going to happen. The only promise in the Bible is that my God will supply all your needs. How? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? God can keep on giving, and yet his resources will never be depleted. Wow, that's a good bank. Because his giving is according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's unlimited, right? That doesn't diminish. That's not subject to inflation or anything like that. That's what it says. Barry, I think you had your hand up. Oh, man. to eat. Oh, that's great, Barry. I remember when I got, I'm no Hudson Taylor, but I remember when I got out of a, a seminary, my wife and I were married, I had my first church, and I remember they told me, um, uh, we have good news and bad news for you, and the, uh, the good news is we would like to provide you with this amount of money for your salary. That's the good news. The bad news is we can't. And, and this is what we can pro provide for you. At the time, I had uh, two, not three children, I think two children. And it was $16,000 a year is what they could provide. Well, you couldn't make it on that. But I took it anyway. I took the church. I just knew God had me take the church. How are we going to make it? I don't have any idea. You know, pastor, we don't even qualify for food stamps and stuff like that. Can't apply. I, I was thinking about it. I couldn't do it. So I thought, how are we going to do it? I have no idea. What a rich experience. Oh, we had to really think and cut and budget and do all the kind of stuff. And we had to pray. And uh, it was one of the richest times we ever had. And then as the church got to a position, they, they upped, upped the salary. This was a year or so in, into things. That wasn't the point. The, the point was... Uh, uh, I remember what a rich spiritual time it was. I remember it to this day. 
I remember how, how sort of relieved we were knowing God has to take care of us because we don't, we're not going to be taken care of. We're not going to make it. I can't tell you the relief there was in that. It didn't have to do with clever investing and financial management and all this. There was nothing to manage. <laughs> what? It was just... It was... It, it, so, you know, my God will supply all your needs, deep needs, not your wants, all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Now, look, you know what Paul's doing? He's talking about God. He's talking about the riches God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He just gets caught up with God. You know what he does? Verse 20, he leads into a doxology. Can't help himself. A doxology is a praise to God. Sometimes in churches we sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Father, Son, and did I get it wrong? Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's been a while <laughs> since I praised God. Okay. Thanks for embarrassing me. So that's a doxology. Praise to God. Doxa is a Greek word. Praise. Paul leads into it, verse 20, spontaneously. Now to our God. It's not just a God. And Father. He's not distant. He's dead. Father. Be the glory. For how long? Forever. And ever. And Paul can't help himself. Amen. He says an amen to his own thing. Amen means it's true. That's what he says. He just breaks into this prayer. That's what he does. Then he says in verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? A saint is not someone who has been designated a saint by an ecclesiastical body from Rome. It's not true. A saint is a believer in Christ Jesus. So wait just a second. What believer in Christ Jesus is that saintly? None. Sainthood is not a function of behavior. It's a function of new position in Christ. What's that mean? Before you believe, you're in a domain. It's called the domain of darkness. When you accept Christ, you're transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. That change in position means you're separated from the world and set apart unto Christ. That's the word, holy, saint. Set apart, set apart. I know we don't always believe, we don't always behave in a holy and saintly manner. I got that. But behavior is not at the root, it's position. So when Paul says, greet all the saints, he means every believer in Christ Jesus. So to have, well, of course, I'm talking about the Catholic Church. Many good things. Don't misunderstand. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. But they're wrong about this. Now, look, when they pronounce sainthood on someone like Mother Teresa, we, no one argues. Quite the woman. You understand what I'm saying? But that's not the biblical concept. We don't wait for someone to live a life worthy of sainthood. You know what, you know what the Bible says? I'm going to pronounce upon you the quality of saintliness, and I want you to live up to it. 
God does not say, live up to it, and then I'll call you a saint. It's the other way around. It's all grace. So if you're a Christian, you're a saint. I know you think that's a little weird. No. It means a set apart. How would you get set apart? Well, Jesus bought you with blood. That's what redemption. Redemption is when you buy something, right? He redeemed us with a price, his blood. And when he redeemed us, that means he set us apart. And that's what it means to be a saint. It means to be set apart. It doesn't mean to be holy, sanctified, and got it all together yet. We're in process of getting there. So, so don't misunderstand this thing about, do you mind me telling you I'm a saint? It's a little weird even to say that. I got, I got you there. I didn't say I behave that way all the time or anything like that. I just said Jesus redeemed me from this domain, brought me into his domain, set me apart. That's what it means to be a saint. It means to be set apart. Now, I hope we live consistent with it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But behavior is not the basis of sainthood. Positioning is. We're positioned in Christ. And so when Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, he's not saying to the Philippians, you know the two or three who is. <laughs> he's saying, that's all of you in Christ Jesus. Then he says, the brethren who are with me greet you. And he says in verse 22, all the saints greet you. All the saints where Paul is, all the Christians greet you. Ah, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, what does that mean? Some think it means members of Caesar's family. Could be, but probably not. The term Caesar's household probably means those in Caesar's employ. In other words, they're working for the government. He's the government. He's the Roman emperor. These are people who work for the big gun, Caesar, who became believers, Christians. And they, believers in Caesar's household, greet you, Philippians. So I ask you the question, how do these people in Caesar, folks, this is the Greco-Roman pagan world. How did members of Caesar's government Come to know Christ. Could you please tell me? Paul, but he was in jail. How could you do anything in jail? What'd you say? Well said, everybody. Well said. Here's my point Paul is an illustration of his sermon. Remember, he said, I, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He has options. He's put in jail. He's persecuted for the faith. He doesn't know what he's getting out. He doesn't even know the charges. Come on, it wasn't due process of law by no means. He can become quite embittered and overwhelmed. He could shake his fist at God. He could say, good, sovereign, yeah, doesn't stack up. Look at what I'm going through right now. He could just shut down. He could say, I'm absolutely useless until I get out of this jail. But he said, no, I, I, I've learned, remember it's a learned thing, I've learned to be content in jail in all circumstances. And I can do jail through Christ who strengthens me because he knows I'm in jail, didn't take him by surprise. The Roman government is not calling the shots. My God allowed this to happen. Since he's sovereign and good, it's not a random thing. It's not an unfortunate turn of events. I'm not content in jail. 
I mean, I'm not content with jail, I, I, but I can be content in jail. Why? <clears throat> I'm not the one really in prison. I'm free. It's the guy on the other side of the bars who holds the keys, who thinks he's free. He's really in prison. He's imprisoned by his own sin, and he doesn't even know it. He's imprisoned by the penalty and power and presence of his own sin. I'm free of it. Who's really in jail? And Paul said, I can do the stuff God wants me to do right here. And that's what he did. He probably sang hymns while in jail. And he probably spoke to them about Jesus, who could set them free. And he probably manifested contentment the likes of which no other prisoner did. Doesn't mean he said, boy, I love prison food. But I really liked lying down on this cold surface. No, no, no. Remember, the Bible doesn't say be content with your circumstances. That's crazy stuff. But he's learned to be content in his circumstances. He was no stoic, detached from emotion. He probably cried. He probably had some ups and downs. He didn't know whether he was going to get out. He was alone. Could be this is one of the reasons why the Philippians lacked opportunity. Maybe their money didn't get to him. He's in jail. The warden probably reading the envelope, seeing the check and taking it for himself. I mean, who knows what's going on? But circumstances, though they affected Paul, did not defeat Paul because he said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, even in jail. And so he found his mission, and he probably led members of Caesar's household, government people, to the Lord. There's a man in this church, he has leukemia. It's really bad. He said a few rounds of treatment at MD Anderson, they are really bad. Necessary, but bad. They affect him. I called him one day. I wanted to encourage him. I didn't. It went the other way around. He encouraged me. You never know you make a call like that. What's What kind of voice are you going to get on the other side? You don't know. He said, uh, I really know why all this is happening. I said, well, tell me. He said, I am sharing my faith with more people than I have in years and years. I mean, nurses come in here. People come in here. Radiology, respiratory, I mean, all these people. And uh, I don't like my circumstance. Kidney, I'm probed, I'm looked at, I'm this, I'm that. Who in their right mind likes that? Nobody is talking about some called positive confession where you deny reality. <laughs> but he said the reality is, I, I, I know what, this is no unfortunate turn of events. This is not the cruel winds of fate. This too was permitted by a sovereign and good God who is much more concerned about the spiritual sickness in the lives of the employees at MD Anderson than about my physical body. I'm getting a new body anyway, fit for eternity, for crying out loud. I'm not the one sick. They are. Paul said, I'm not the one in prison. They are. I'm free. This man said, I'm already healed and healthy and well in terms of my broken relationship with Almighty God. But what about them? 
their diagnosis is much more serious than mine. If my diagnosis leads me to depart from this life, I go to the next phase, which is far better. And so he said, I know why I'm here. As soon as someone comes in and says, makes the mistake of saying something like, how you doing today? Boom. <laughs> I'm gone. And they don't dare mess with me because I'm weak and I got all this stuff and I'm paying and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's a captive audience. Wow. I, don't, I thought, I don't know if that was me. I don't know if I could behave that way. But then I think, don't let your thoughts take you that way. You know why? You don't get God's grace before you need it. That's why. You don't know how you're going to behave if something like that happens to you. You know, that's why the Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. We don't get next week's supply till next week. So anyway, that man found the truth here. Paul found it. He had contentment. He said, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody had their hand up over here. Barry, I'm sorry, you already uh, you said No, I'm sorry, Barry, just one time a class. No, go ahead, brother. I'm kidding. Kind of like what you guys feel right now. <laughs> Can't get out of here until this guy shuts up. Similar, yeah. Uh, so now look how, he, uh, look how he finishes. Verse 23. The grace, that's the first time Paul mentioned grace, isn't it? No. Mentioned it right at the beginning of this book. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He began with grace. He finishes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Should be a small S in your Bible. It's not the Holy Spirit. That's just your personality, spirit, your human spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So here's the deal. Just as this letter began and ends with grace, so too do our lives. Your adventure with Christ and mine began with God's grace, right? You didn't save yourself. He saved you by grace. And uh, it's going to finish with grace. Why? Because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, between the beginning and the end, we are somewhere in there. I don't know where we are in the timeline. My personal feeling is we're closer to the end than the beginning. I don't know when. But, but things are happening, for crying out loud, at a rapid clip. So, But here's the point. We're between the... Authorship of our grace and the uh, of God's grace to us and the culmination of His grace, folks, and we're in the atmosphere of His grace even in the middle. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin, folks. We're going to make it, no matter what. Don't think when you're pained and feeling overwhelmed. Don't feel like, uh, think that when you, you're gasping for air and don't know how you're going to even get up tomorrow. Don't think you're letting God down and don't think that God let you down. You're hurting because of the circumstance, which hurts. Don't deny it. But not at that point. But now that you're, 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 you're maybe out of it or the intensity of it is lessened, you need to know this. You were as much in the gracious hands of God's then as you, as you were in the beginning of your salvation as you will be in the end. He never lets you go. Why? It's not that you're so hot. 
don't be looking to that. It's that he bought you with a price. He owns you. He's responsible. He wants to get a return on his investment. He will. That's why we can have the confidence. I can do this. I can get through this. Not by sheer force of will. Be tough. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. I mean, that's good for a high school football coach. But that's not reality in life. You don't toughen up. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. God doesn't expect you to be strong. He promises that you can be strengthened. Big difference. I can do all things through my strength. Through Christ who strengthens me. And then you find yourself being brought forward to this date, whatever today's date is. Folks, everything that has gone before today, many of which has really hurt us, taken the air out of us, made us think we're probably not going to make it. And that wasn't true, was it? Because here we are today. I have a thing in my own mind. Um, I call it Ebenezer. Ebenezer, it means a stone of help. Way back there in the Bible, uh, I think it was Samuel. Is it first Samuel? Man, Bear. Really good. Bear, that's excellent. Bear's got the beard there. He's like a prophet, Old Testament prophet. Okay, good. So, you know, first Samuel. So Samuel would move a stone, Ebenezer stone. And here's what he said. Thus far, the Lord has been my help. Man. So over here, the Lord was my help. I got evidence. And he would move it. In the day he was. Today, up until today, the Lord has been my help. Then he'd move it. Uh, up until today, the Lord has been my help. So I can tell you, um, whatever, what is today? It's the 26th of March. I can tell you, uh, March 26, 2017, Ebenezer, thus far, the Lord has been my help. I don't have a clue what tomor tomorrow, I don't have a clue what later today holds. I don't have any idea. No idea. Stuff could happen to me that just blows me away, overwhelms me. You know, uh, you know I, I got all that. And I, I can go through the same gyrations anyway. Well, God, where are you? What's going on? I can go through all that. I understand that. But I can tell you, as of today, Eben Ezer, thus far the Lord has been my help. Why? Because he never ceases to be sovereign. He never ceases to be good. I'm in the parentheses of his grace. It's not just Philippians that begins and ends with grace. You begin and end with grace. You see? Anyway, we're going to make it. But we're not going to make it because we're strong. <clears throat> we're going to make it because we will be strengthened. And I know some of you over here right now who have gone through stuff that is, that is overwhelming. And yet here you are. I, I know some of you who have lost spouses. I know that lady went to Israel with that lady right there. I knew her husband, Charles. He's not with her now. I know that lady right there. Debbie Doris, I knew her, her husband. He's not with her right now, but they are here. How? Feeling great? Probably not. The Bible says, it doesn't say spirituality is feeling great. The Bible does not say finding contentment with your circumstances. It says finding contentment in it. I'll bet these ladies can preach far better sermons than I can about how the Lord has strengthened them. How else did they get to March twenty? What would you say today was? 26? Still the 26? How else could they get to March 20? 26, you see? Paul said, they could say, I can go through all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Paul's message right there. 
Well, look, we have a few more minutes if you want to make a comment. Yes, Mac. Nice to see you, Mac. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I want to repeat what Max said, and Katie is very good. I didn't notice this. And uh, you see, it says, God be with your spirit. And Mac was saying, notice, it doesn't say, God be with your flesh. No, no, no. God with your spirit. So, so it's overcome that base, uh, carnal uh, nature. Because the essence, I think Mac was saying, the essence of the person is your is your spirit. It's not your flesh. Did I get that right? That was pretty good, Mac. Really, really good. Man, I wish we had another class. I would use that as my own. <laughs> go ahead, Bear. And then we go to this lady. He shouldn't be here. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and Barry, uh, if you know that, we went to Israel together. I know that guy as a student of the Bible and a lover of Almighty God. Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has been your help. Circumstances were overwhelming. You responded. Up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it affected What, what, what has come from that? Anything good? Great, Barry. Thank you. 
There was a wonderful woman named Henrietta Mears who, in the process of dying, was asked, uh, she was a great saint, um, Miss Mears, if you had to do all over, what would you do? She said, I would have trusted him more. Uh, yeah. It's a matter of trust, just like you said. Yes, ma'am. It's a wonderful uh, concept. Uh, our sister is saying, uh, it, it, it's one thing to say God is sovereign and God is good, but you're in a certain circumstance and you feel like saying, well, God, if you're sovereign and good, why don't you change the circumstance? Now, um, what's wrong with doing that? Is there something wrong with that? I understand. Uh, but, but, but here's the beauty of, of praying to God. If what you're praying is out of line, God just won't listen. No big deal. You have nothing to lose. So if you say, God, I'm in this circumstance, I know you have the ability to absolutely um, change it, and that's what I'm asking you to do. Okay. If he says, no, I'm up to something through it, he'll just say, I know what you're saying. I hear your heart, but no. Listen, how is it different than what the Lord did? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then what did he say? Your will be done. That's the safest prayer on earth. That's perfectly legitimate. Perfectly legitimate. Well, folks, we should go. And uh, again, please note that we finished Philippians. I need you to tell Brother Chuck immediately. We got it done. And early. He's still probably going over there. But you'll be gone. You'll be at Luby's and all that stuff. Now, Pam has the baskets for your prayer cards. Don't forget. When you go out, let me. Yeah. Yes, Linda. Oh, uh, could someone tell Linda what we're going to study next? Oh, I didn't tell you? Oh, man, Linda, I wanted to just shame you. And now it's me who's ashamed. Uh, Colossians. Colossians. So listen, four chapters. You could read it in one sitting. Read it a few times, would you, before we get rolling? And so you can get a little more prepared for it. Okay, so folks, before you leave, let me pray. I got about 63 people who are gone already. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. Thank you for, for the record of truth. It's your Bible. Thank you for it being manifested through an ordinary person, flesh and blood, just like Paul. As you are with him, so too you are with us. You can strengthen us uh, to do and to be in all circumstances you would have us be in. It's a matter of trust. Help you, O oh God, that we're learning to trust you more and we're learning contentment. We're grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, folks. See you in Colossians. Tell Linda we're going to be in Colossians.